the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Never once in Genesis do you see the guy complain or whine to God. Never once. He's a man of incredible integrity and patience. And he's going to spend the prime of his life. Can you imagine being from 17 until about 29 or 30 in prison? The prime of your life. Eventually, the Lord works it out in his timing to, to secure Joseph's release, primarily because God gives Joseph the ability to interpret Pharaoh's dream when no one else can. Isn't it amazing how the messages of the Old Testament paved the way for New Testament events? Numerous times we see prophecies come to pass or principles referenced. In today's teaching, Pastor Gary will break down Stephen's speech in Acts 7, primarily focusing on the story of Joseph in Genesis. Joseph was a perfect example of faithfully and patiently following God because no matter his circumstances, his steadfastness never wavered. Can the same be said of your devotion today? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Acts chapter 7 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. In Acts chapter 6, verse 6, it says, Now Stephen... And remember, he's one of the first original deacons. A man full of God's grace and power did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then... It says, they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. Now circle that word. We're going to talk about that. If you have a King James Bible, it doesn't say Sanhedrin. It says council. So they brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place, meaning the temple, and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So that's where we ended last week. Now, he has the face of an angel because really the spirit of the Lord is just kind of glowing in him. And he is hauled before the Sanhedrin on the basis of false charges against him. 
Now, this is the same group that ended up persuading Pontius Pilate to crucify Jesus. That's the Sanhedrin. And just by way of you know, some information about the Sanhedrin, it is actually a, a word that comes from Greek. And uh, the two words in Greek are soon, meaning together, and uh, hydra, meaning seat. And taken together, what the word basically means is, and how it applies here is, it's a Jewish ruling council of men seated together. That's Sanhedrin, seated together from that word. By the way, that word hedra in Greek, which means seat, is in the word cathedral. It's also a Greek word, katehedra. Cathedral means, kata in, Hebrew, in Greek means down or from, and hedra means seat. A cathedral is a place typically in ancient terms... Uh, where the bishop's seat was, and when he would come down from his seat, they would talk about that being katahedra. He's coming down from the seat, cathedral. Anyway, you get extra information for no charge here. But here you go, Sanhedrin, as it relates, here's this Jewish ruling council where these men are seated together. It is modeled after the 70 elders that Moses appointed to help administrate Israel back in Exodus chapter 18. If you remember that story, Moses is responsible for administrating you know, justice and giving uh, wisdom and making judgments for the people of Israel, which numbered a couple of million people that he's leading through the wilderness. And his father-in-law, Moses' father-in-law, says, you know what, you ought to appoint some godly men to help you as elders in Israel to settle matters of dispute. And so he does that in Exodus 18. Now, here in Jesus' day, the Jews are taking that model and they're applying it in their day. Not sure that it was meant to be a model necessarily. It was probably just a unique thing that Moses did because it was necessary to help administrate the population of Israel. Nevertheless, the Sanhedrin in Jesus' day uh, were a group of men that modeled after the 70 elders, uh, actually numbered 71 because it was 70 plus the high priest who presided over the council. So in Jesus' day, the Sanhedrin had 71 men. And they saw themselves with much more power and authority than they ever should have. And so here they are reviewing the case about Stephen. Stephen is brought before them. They obviously are are not going to be kind to him because they are offended and disagree with anything related to Jesus as Messiah seeing as how, again, as I mentioned, they were instrumental in seeing Jesus crucified. So they're not sympathetic towards Stephen. And when Stephen is brought before them, here now in chapter 7, verse 1, it says, then the high priest asked him, are these charges true? So they are, it's sort of like a, a big Supreme Court with 71 people on the bench. And here Stephen is, he's having to make his defense now. And he's going to launch into a speech, it's a long speech, Not quite as long as uh, the State of the Union, but it's a long speech, more interesting as far as I'm concerned, but from verse 2 all the way through verse 53 is Stephen's speech. It's somewhat of a quick read, but here's what he's going to do. He's going to make his defense not really about himself. He's going to make his defense in regards to the truth, and he's going to let the chips fall where they may. Now, if you look at this speech, he's going to cover about 1,100 years of Jewish history. If you are kind of new to church and new to the Bible and you don't understand a lot about Judaism, you're about ready to get in uh, 49 verses. No, my math wasn't very good. 51 verses, 52, I guess, inclusive. Anyway, you're going to get through chapter 7 
a great uh, history lesson about the Jews, a very concise history lesson, but he's going to cover about 1,100 years here in, in several verses. And so here's the first section from verse 2 down through verse 19. And so let me read that, and then we'll back up, and then we'll look at each section, because it's three sections primarily. So here's verse 2. To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living, Israel. He gave them no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way. Your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves God said, and afterward, they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. And then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. And Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob. And Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph. They sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our fathers could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he, had, where he and our fathers died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. All right, pause there. That's basically section one, and he's going to talk about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob's 12 sons, who end up being referred to as the 12 tribes of Israel that make up the nation of Israel. So he starts with Abraham. Abraham is the patriarch of the faith. And he talks about how God called Abraham from a remote place in what is southern Iraq on a modern map. And I'm kind of a visual person, so I put together a little map so you can understand where is Abraham from, where did he go, how did he get to Israel. Because again, as I've said on numerous occasions, the Jewish people were not existing before Abraham. And Abraham himself was not Jewish. He was a Gentile. He did not worship the God that we understand now as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, but instead, he was a pagan guy, a Gentile. There were no Jewish people. God created the Jewish race out of the seed and descendants of Abraham. But he was living in this little remote town called Ur, in the bottom of what is modern Iraq and the southern part along the Euphrates River. That's where God appeared to him. The story is given to us in Genesis chapter 12. And God simply selected Abraham by his providential design to be the father of a great nation. And out of his seed would come the Jewish people and ultimately a Messiah, a Jewish Messiah, Jesus. And God taps him on the shoulder, speaks to him and says, I want you to leave your country, your people. I want you to go to a place I'm going to show you to go. Now, if you're told to just go someplace, but you don't have a map, you know, how do you start to go where you don't know any place about the direction you're supposed to go? 
Look, a lot of times when God speaks to us uh, or God, you know, ministers to us in some way, it doesn't necessarily mean that there has to be some kind of supernatural response. Sometimes it's just a natural response. What happened likely is that Abraham, because we know the journey that he ended up taking, he just follows the Euphrates River and he just starts to walk. All right. And if God wanted to redirect him, God would redirect him. But he just starts walking along the Euphrates River until he gets up right to the border of what is today Syria and Turkey to a town called Haran. Now, that's not where God wanted him to stay. That was not the promised land. But Abraham ends up staying there an estimated 25 years. He takes a detour. I'm sure nobody can relate. You know, God's told you to do something and you disobey him. And 25 years later, you finally get your act together. That's basically what's happening here. You know, let's cut Abraham a break. He didn't have GPS and he's a man. He's not going to ask for directions. Do you know what I'm saying? So he ends up in Iran 25 years or so. And then the Lord speaks to him again about leaving that place. His father dies, which is probably an impetus in getting him to move on. Because sometimes uh, that can, you know, we can, we can be held back by our own personal things and personal love for others. And God says, I want you to obey me and follow me. So then when uh, Abraham leaves Haran... He goes to Shechem in Israel. And so Stephen starts to recount this history. And he's like, okay, let's start with Abraham. He was called from Ur in Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia just means the land between the rivers, the Euphrates and Tigris. And he calls him out, and Abraham ends up coming here to Israel. And then Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. And Stephen talks a little bit here in his speech about the 12 patriarchs, the patriarchs that emerge from Abraham's seed. In verse 9, he says, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. And many of you know this story. The story of Joseph starts in Genesis 37. Joseph is an interesting man and one of my heroes of the Bible. He takes up about a third of the book of Genesis, the latter third. He's 17 years old when we find him in Genesis 37. And he's one of 12 sons of Jacob. And the Bible says in Genesis 37 that Jacob loved Joseph more than his other sons. I mean, it just tells us clearly. It's not a good commentary on Jacob, okay? We shouldn't show favoritism and love one child more than another. But uh, that's what dad did. Dad loved Joseph more, and the other 11 brothers knew it. And it didn't help that dad gave Joseph a technicolor coat. And he's wearing it around, you know, he's got, it's got the rainbow, he's wearing it around, he's like, hey, I'm kind of a special kid, and all the 11 other brothers are like, yeah, we kind of know already, don't rub it in. And then Joseph, on top of it, he says, you know, listen, by the way, I've had some dreams lately, guys, and he tells his brothers about a dream that he had, and he says, listen, I had this dream, it's kind of interesting, where we're all out just, you know, gleaning the harvest, and you all are bundling your sheaves of grain, and you each have your own sheave that you have, you know, put out in the field, and... And all of a sudden, my sheave stands up and your sheaves bow down to mine. Isn't that hilarious? And the brothers are not amused. And they're like, you're already wearing dad's bathrobe. We don't like you already. And so they're upset with him. And, you know, he is 17 at the time. So, again, you know, there's some grace to go around because 17 can be 17. And he's acting 17. He's like, let me tell you about this dream I had where I'm a little more special than the rest of you guys. Okay, I'm kind of like a snowflake. I'm one of a kind. And you're not as good as my snowflake. And so they end up resenting him, being angry with him, and they want to kill him. Now, Reuben, his other older brother, intervenes and he says, you know what? This isn't right, guys. We shouldn't kill him. I mean, after all, he is our brother. Uh, but let's sell him into slavery instead. 
And so they, they throw him in a pit, and, and then they end up selling him to the Midianites who are coming along on their way to Egypt. Make a really long story short, Joseph ends up in Egypt. He's first uh, hired, bought, really kind of just as a servant in the household of Potiphar. Potiphar is the captain of the guard of Egypt, a very influential man, uh, one of the high officials in Pharaoh's court. And uh, Joseph, as this young guy, about whom the Bible says he was handsome and well-built, okay? And so there he is in Potiphar's household, and Mrs. Potiphar, who's unnamed, but we'll just call her Mrs. Potiphar, starts hitting on him. She's kind of a cougar, but that's the way she's going. She's going after him, and he's like, whoa. And he, and he realizes it's tempting. Okay, he's 17. He's good-looking, well-built, and he's, you know, and he's, and he's a normal teenage guy. And you have a very influential woman who's no doubt beautiful. The Bible doesn't say she's beautiful. But I guarantee you, Potiphar has a beautiful woman on his, on his arm, okay? And we, we see the scene as tempting. And so that also means she's beautiful because ugly don't tempt. All right? Just a good old southern expression, but I'm just being real with you. Ugly don't tempt. And so Joseph is tempted, and so he runs away from her, and then she yells, oh, he tried to, he tried to you know, make advances at me, and she turns the table and falsely accuses him. He ends up in prison for about 12 to 13 years being falsely accused, something he didn't do. Never once in Genesis do you see the guy complain or whine to God. Never once. He's a man of incredible integrity and patience. And he's going to spend the prime of his life. Can you imagine being from 17 until about 29 or 30 in prison? The prime of your life. Eventually, the Lord works it out in his timing to, to secure Joseph's release, primarily because God gives Joseph the ability to interpret Pharaoh's dream when no one else can. And God then promotes and blesses Joseph for his faithfulness and promotes him to be basically what we would say today, prime minister in Egypt. He becomes the most influential person next to Pharaoh himself. And his brothers all thought that he was dead after they had sold him into slavery. In fact, they went back to dad that day that they had sold him into slavery and made up this story and showed him this little pretty technicolor robe all covered in what they ended up putting on was which was goat blood like dad hey sorry a a ferocious animal came and killed joseph your beloved son look here's his robe all torn and here's his blood and so you know this is terrible and dad for for almost 22 years will think that his son is dead and not know what his brothers have done and joseph being just blessed by god rises to this place of prominence in egypt and he's 39 years old when there's a famine in israel And Jacob says to his surviving 11 sons, he says, why don't you go down to Egypt? I hear that there's food down in Egypt because Joseph has stockpiled it because he had wisdom and a dream from the Lord to do this. And so it was the only place for food in the region. And the sons of Jacob go down and they end up accidentally, it's a God thing, they end up being reunited with their brother. They don't recognize him at first. I mean, they thought he was dead too. 
And I mean, but and you have to remember when they first see him, he doesn't look like how they used to remember him. He was 17. Now he's about 39. Plus now he's a, he's in a high position in Egypt. And so he's got on the Egyptian garb. He's got the, you know, the guy liner. All right. And he walks like an Egyptian. Great song by the Bengals. That's a long time ago. But anyway, and so they, and he's, and he's speaking Egyptian. They don't recognize him at first, but after he reveals himself, there's this incredible reunion. And one of the, one of the best verses in the last a chapter of Genesis where Joseph, and if, if anybody could have been and had, quote, the right to be bitter, it was that guy. After being betrayed by his family, thrown into prison, left there, falsely accused, but he turns to his brothers and he says to them, what you intended for harm, God intended for good, for the saving of many lives. What you meant for evil, what you meant in trying to harm me, God has made good out of it for the saving of many lives. Now, it's, it's not like he appreciates what they did to him, but he understands the providential hand of God. That, that even in his own difficulties, he sees the hand of God and he forgives his brothers. And there's this great reunion with dad and the brothers and weeping and healing and restoration. And God in his providential design did it really for, for saving of a family. But now Stephen says this whole family, 75 in all at this point now, you have, you know, these sons and wives and children, 75, they go down to Egypt and they stay there. But now he's going to transition in the story. Here's the first point though, if you're taking notes in this, in this three part thing that he's, that he's, he's making this case before the Sanhedrin and he's revisiting their history. Why is he doing all this? Because he wants them to understand. First of all, he says, it's not about a patriarch. He says, you can falsely accuse me all day long, all you want. I just want to revisit our history because I want you to understand what God is up to. And it is not about a patriarch. Yes, God used Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the 12 sons of Jacob. But it's not about, our faith is not about a patriarch or a patriarchal system. And then he moves on to the rest of his speech. You got Jacob's descendants now who have moved down to Egypt because of the famine Verse 17, keep reading with me. Verse 17, Stephen says, As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. Then another king who knew nothing about Joseph became ruler of Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. Okay, remember, they end up multiplying and becoming a numerous people in Egypt. But, but now the Pharaoh that liked Joseph and liked Joseph's family has been replaced, a new Pharaoh, and, and he's not kind to the Israelites, and he enslaves them for 400 years. And on top of that, he gives that order to try to control the Jewish population of slaves to have all the baby boys murdered. And so... Stephen reminds him of that. And then verse 20, at that time, Moses. Now here's a key person in, in his speech. Moses was born and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. 
Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And when Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. What you've heard today is just one message from series going through the book of Acts. Pastor Gary has provided some insightful information about the early church. And you can't help but be inspired by what you read about as the Christian church was birthed. Who are the people you admire and look to as examples of courage and faith? Is it Peter or maybe James being the first martyr? How about Stephen and the example he set? Or perhaps you're a fan of Aquila and Priscilla, a great model of a couple who followed after Jesus. Then there's the all-famous Apostle Paul, who paved the way for much missionary work to the nations. All of these people were striving to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And we hope your heart is ignited to do the same. You can reach people too, near and far, in your neighborhood, online, and even those across the world. And if you feel the Lord leading you as he did Paul, you may even find yourself following the Lord to witness in another country. In the meantime, you're welcome to listen to more messages from this series in Acts. You can do so by going to cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're so glad you've tuned in today to Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.